Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you, and uh, we're about halfway through summer as it goes, and uh, I tell you, we have really been going through the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is God's hymnal, prayer book, and book of poetry all wrapped into one. And we've been doing that over the summer because uh, as summer times tend to be, you kind of go in and out and you have vacations scattered and so forth. And we have a lot of our staff team that takes their vacations during the summer as well. So it's good to be able to have sermons that are week by week. And that's what we've been doing with the book of Psalm. And we're going we're to be looking at a particular type of psalm today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13, if you would, while you're going there. Just want to also mention that today is the last Sunday in July. And as such, it is the last Sunday of our fiscal year. Uh, we run a fiscal year that begins on August 1st and runs through July 31st. And uh, at some point in the future, we hope to give you maybe a little better uh, insight into uh, how our year went. But I, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving this last year as we've tried to come out of COVID repeatedly. Uh, it has been a good year for us financially because of two things, the faithfulness of your giving and the faithfulness of our staff team who made sure that they kept the expenses where they were supposed to be. And as such, we operated well in the black this year, even in spite of all the challenges that COVID has provided. But not only that, we have given a record amount to missions this year. And in fact, more than any other year in the history of our church, we gave to missions last year. Our missions team just met a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we gave $10,000 matching to a, a church in Romania that uh, uh, is uh, being started by a guy whose parents used to go to church here, and he decided to name the church Life Fellowship. And they needed $20,000 to get the equipment to get it started, and um, and so we did a match with them. And so they're raising $10,000. We're going to match it at $10,000, and they'll have the $20,000 for all their equipment for Life Fellowship Romania. Isn't that pretty cool? As we are committed to, pa to uh, 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 church planting around the world. Uh, we, we are almost to the point where I think we're at like 320 of the 500 churches. The pastors have been trained for those in India. A couple of weeks ago, we gave $25,000 to a new initiative in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, we've got some things coming up in Uganda that are really exciting. Bob and I met a guy in Zimbabwe, and uh, we gave $5,000 to buy discipleship books. I just got an email this morning. Uh, the, all the discipleship books have arrived now, and uh, every... every uh, uh, 100 discipleship books, they get a computer. Uh, basically, it's like a cheap iPad that they can teach on it. And, and so they hold it up to the class of 12 or 15 people and are able to use that like a, like a small television screen to be able to teach the material to them. So that's going on all over Zimbabwe. Uh, working uh, this weekend on getting trip uh, aligned for our representative in Cuba to fly to South Africa, where they're going to be trained in the same discipleship material in September. Go back to Cuba and spread that all across the island. And I could go project after project after project after project because you're faithful, because you're giving to the general fund, to above and beyond missions, to our monthly support. And so I just want to say thank you so much for that. And as we get ready to go into the new year, we're projecting about a 6% increase in giving. And I just mentioned that because as some of us you know, over the course of the year, we get raises and so forth. I, I just put my change in how I give in to, to reflect uh, the coming fiscal year. And, uh, and so I just want to mention that as, as we start looking for the goals. We don't talk about money a lot here. Um, but, uh, you know, the cool thing is, is when we do it God's way, the blessings follow. And the Lord provides for all the needs. 
And here's the cool thing, and he increases the needs that he wants us to follow as we're faithful in him. He gives us fresh opportunities, and we're seeing that everywhere we turn. And as Pastor Ben mentioned last week, we're going to have a Vision Sunday in September talking about some new initiatives that we're going to be having. And I'm just so excited about that. You're going to want to be here as we see the Lord continue to do his work through Life Fellowship. So Psalm chapter 13 is an interesting psalm, and the kind of psalm that we're going to be talking about today is a psalm of lamentation. Now, a, lam- a lament is, is uh, a word that we use to express deep sorrow, grief, or regret. So you say, now, hang on just a moment. There are literally chapters of the Bible that are dedicated to the idea that we live with deep sorrow and remorse and regret and grief. Absolutely. In fact, there's an entire book (laughs) written about it. It's called the Book of Lamentations. It's not one that we frequently go to, but it is a book of sorrow. It's a book of begging God to withhold his judgment. It's It's a book of consequences. And so it ought to come as no surprise that in this book of worship that's there in the middle of Scripture, in this book that has all these chapters in it, that 58 of the chapters, over one third of the chapters in this book are written with the idea idea that sometimes life is hard and God seems distant. Life is hard and God seems distant. How do we process this? How do we go through these seasons in life where the consequences of the fall bear down on us extra hard? When illness, death, disappointment, disillusionment, loneliness, depression, weigh on us, and we cry out. And sometimes in the midst of our crying out, at least for a while, it seems like we're screaming into the void. We don't get that immediate response that we desire so deeply. Why is it that so many of the Psalms start out with phrases like, my God, my God, or oh Lord, or how long, oh Lord? How come so many of those are? Because that is part of living in a broken world. And we have no right, even as believers, have no right to anticipate that when you live in brokenness, that brokenness will not impact you. This last, you know, every, it's interesting because when you start a week in ministry, you just kind of never know what's going to happen, right? You, you never know whether it's going to be an easy week or a hard week or a busy week or, or a week where you get to read and study more or, or whatever. Uh, this week was, and I, I think, you know, sometimes the Lord makes it ap- appear in my life, so I pay attention as I'm getting ready to preach this, but uh, this was a week where there were tears that were shed around here. I mean, there were, there were things that we were planning and prepping and working with people that, that, that are heavy. Heavy. Uh, I was thinking, and I see Blaine right here. Blaine, yesterday we had a beautiful, beautiful service yesterday for his wife, Lisa, who passed away young, passed away from cancer very quickly, you know, as these things go, just a matter of a little over a year. And, and yet the room was filled not only with friends and neighbors but, and family, but also with the power of her testimony. Because that was part of what she desired, that others would hear Christ. And so yesterday, Pastor Ben, as he led, led the message, in the midst of hurt and pain and disappointment, there was this message of hope. And that is true. That is true 
of the lamentations we find in Scripture. Last, last uh, Monday night, one of our, our dear staff members, in fact, I think I mentioned her two weeks ago when I was preaching, but Abby, who has cystic fibrosis and a lot of co- corresponding health problems, had to be rushed to the hospital with a, 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 a life-threatening situation. It was very, very serious. and had to have major, major surgery. And, and as we're kind of processing that, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Christy uh, Belcher, who was getting ready to have that Whipple surgery because she has cancer in her pancreas, a cancerous tumor on her pancreas, and, and they had gotten in, in there, and, and they were able to do it where they didn't have to do the full Whipple. And it was such a blessing. But then she gets home, has a bad relapse. I mean, a really bad one. She, and, and both of them ended up in the hospital again on the same day. And I went up to visit them, and, 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 you know, in the pain and in the tears and in the frustration, because, you know, sometimes it is frustrating to have to live in a, in a world that's broken. It's frustrating when good things or bad things happen to good people. It, it's frustrating even as a pastor, and we know how the story ends. We know all the spiritual truths. We know the battles that are at play. But when you're watching somebody hurt and they're being racked with pain, and all you want to do is show them that you love them and that there's hope, even in those moments you say, Lord, can we have a break here? Lord, what can I do to ease this pain? And we find ourselves out spontaneously calling out to God in faith, knowing that all things are under his control, but still broken by the pain of our condition. That may be you this morning. I may have touched on that, or or, or maybe I didn't touch on it, and you're kind of like waiting, well, Dan, I got another one you can use as an example. I got another one. I got laid off this week, or, or, or I've got a child who's breaking my heart, or, or I got a note on my pillow this week that broke my heart, or, or I have a conflict going on at work, and I don't know which way it's going to go. You may be in a different set of circumstances, and you're at that point where like, God, what are you doing here? What's going on? Why does it seem like sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back? And at those moments when we cry out in desperation to God, we're lamenting. This is part of the Christian journey. This is part of our life as followers of Christ. And in this, we learn things that we will not and cannot learn in any other way except to go through these valleys. And this is what we can learn from the Psalms of Lamentation. They are prayers that lay out our difficulties to the Lord and they cry out for help. There are two types of lamentation psalms. There are community ones and there are individual ones. The community psalms of lament deal with situations of often, particularly in in the psalms, but of, of national consequence or national crisis. Um, But it can also be like locally community as well. It could be those found in a church. It could be found in a city. It could be found in a, a, a large group, even maybe a large family. But these are where we're collectively coming together saying we're broken, we're opposed, we're in pain. But the emphasis is on the we. And these community psalms, describe problems that are faced by all the people who recognize God. All the people who recognize God. An example of these is found in Psalm 12. It's a community lament, and we won't go there this morning, but let me just give you a couple of 
snippets from it. It starts out, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. And here you've got God's people saying, Lord, it just seems like the whole human race has just gone to hell in a handbasket. You only have to watch the news about five minutes when you can kind of relate to what's going on there. Am I right? I mean, my wife and I regularly have a conversation when those moments of insanity inspire me to turn on the news. (laughs) And it doesn't take but just a few minutes where I'm like, what happened? (laughs) How did we get here so quickly? How is it we, we don't know the difference between a man and a woman. We don't know, well, you know, we're, we're slaughtering people in the streets. We, uh, you know, we have racial divide and, and unlike anything we've ever seen where, where we've got people living in tents and we've got politicians doing corrupt things. And how do we get to all of this? And it makes you want to cry out. <laughs> it makes you worry. It makes you fret. It makes you get, get you worked up. And there are times that I think that it is right for us as a church to come together and say, God, help us. Help our nation. Help our church be what it's supposed to be in this moment in history, in this moment of time, in this moment of darkness, where people seem to have lost their minds and worse yet, lost their heart, and in some cases have lost their hope. And one of the most dangerous situations people will ever be in is when they stop caring about each other and they lose hope. Then they flail like wild animals. And in the midst of all this, we're trying to raise a family and trying to make sure our kids turn out all right and trying to make sure that we got a roof over our head and food on our table. In the midst of all this, we're trying to just get along, serve God and and, and help others. And yet it seems like everything's falling apart. What do we do? We cry out to God corporately. And I would say that if there's any message that we as the church of Jesus Christ should be clinging to at this moment in American history and world history, it ought to be we need to cry out to God, together, as a church, saying we need your direction, we need your purification, we need your your hope, and Lord, open the blindness of our eyes and break apart the coldness of our heart that we will see the hope that only comes from heaven. That ought to be our prayer, a prayer of lamentation, but at the same time, there are the individual laments. And these address various isolated troubles. They're problems that are faced by one member, us, individually, of the people of God. An example of this would be Psalm 86. And this is David crying out. And he he lays out his own need before God. He says, arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. In Psalm 86, verse 14. And there are 42 individual psalms of lament in the scripture, there are 16 of community, but there are 42 of individual. Because you know this, when you're going through a tough time, it always feels personal, doesn't it? It always feels personal. Even when we look at everything that's going around the world, what do we think about? How's this going to impact me and my family? How's it going to impact us under my roof? And so we have these examples in this book of worship, a book of poetry, a book of praise, a book of music, and a book of prayer. Over one-third of the time, it says, cry out to God. They're poetic hymns that are meant to be sung in most cases. They deal with issues that are 
that were and still are, quite frankly, central to the life of faith for individual believers and the whole community. I mean, these are written to be sung in the temple. This is part of temple worship. These are not for those who lived apart from God. These are not for the people that are walking up and down the streets this morning, oblivious to the fact that there's a God and he matters. But instead, these are written to people like us that call us to reality and call us to hope. They express intense emotions and the real human struggles that come, the anguish of the heart, whether we're talking about the people of Israel here or what we relate to today individually and corporately. And like the whole book of Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, they follow a pattern. And when you look at all the different Psalms, there's a pattern that begins with suffering and it ends with glory. And we'll look at this in just a moment, but often these Psalms will start off negative, but the end in a positive, faith-filled note. And I think there's something that we can gain from that. I think there's something therapeutic about it that, that we need to recognize. And I, I often say, say this, you know, sometimes I'll just go on a rant. I know that shocks you if you know me real well, that Dan would go on a rant? Really? Does he do that? Oh, yeah. I'm an expert ranter, all right? And I'll just head off, and we don't even know where we're going when the train leaves the station, but I got to get it out of my system for a few moments. And uh, I'll rant and rave, and my kids, when I was younger, they'll just roll their eyes at me. Sometimes I could see them poking each other and say, watch, here he goes, where's he going? You know, I mean, you know, but I had to get it out. It's, it's, it's like when you got food poisoning, you just got to get it out, right? <laughs> That's a beautiful illustration, wasn't it? You're welcome. And, uh, but, and, and, but at the end of it, at the end of it, I remember the truths. <laughs> at the end of it, I come back to sanity, Okay, at the end of it, after I've scraped all the emotion and the feelings and the frustration, I've scraped all that away, what am I left with? Truth. And I think that's why God gave, these, gave us these. And, and, and you understand, we're human. We are imperfect. We do live in a broken world, and we ourselves are broken. So understand that part of traversing our path, this journey, is that the humanity overtakes from time to time the spiritual, but in the conclusion of it all, there is truth. And when we find that, it provides direction, it provides stability, it provides clarity, and it provides comfort. And so, yeah, it's okay sometimes to get frustrated. It's okay to, to, and I'm not saying in a sinful way, but to acknowledge the existence of that. To say, all right, what is God doing here? All right, that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, so what is God wanting to accomplish here? To ask these questions that you sometimes ask through gritted teeth, and you ask through a little bit of a furrowed brow. When you look at laments, they typically begin with an address. So, so Psalm 44 is another psalm of lament, and it, it says very simply, O God. Psalm 22, which I mentioned earlier, it was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the words that literally Jesus would say from the cross later on. A psalm of, of lament often would contain the complaint. You know, one of the things it said, yet for your sake we face death all day long, God. Every day somebody's trying to kill me, God, and it's because of you. I carry your name. I'm your, per I'm, I'm your person. I'm your appointed leader. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, everybody just wants to do us in. So there's this complaint. Psalm 44, uh, 22 was where that passage was found. 
sometimes it's, awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. God, where you at? Hello, hello, knock, knock, knock. You there? Hello? You get to that point. And again, I'm not suggesting that we trivialize God. I'm not suggesting that we address him disrespectfully. But part of our processing of the information asks the question, God, where are you? I need you, and I need you now. Have you ever been in that experience? Have you ever been at that moment where you say, God, I don't want to hear from anybody else right now but you. I need to know you're still there, and I need to know you still care. I need this moment. I need, you to, I need you to hold me. I need you to tell me it's going to be okay, that I'm doing the right thing, that it's going to be worth it in the end. And so we cry out to God. These are lamentations. A psalm of lament will also incorporate an affirmation of trust in God, often remembering his previous act of faithfulness. One of the great empowering things of processing this information is that eventually we remember the things that are real and remember the things that are true. We go back in time. Remember that time when we didn't have any food in the refrigerator? And what happened? We didn't go hungry. God took care of it. Remember that time when we didn't have enough money in the bank account to pay the bills? And what happened? God took care of us. Remember that time when we got the report and said, Dr., said, I don't know what's going on in your test results. We're going to have to run some more tests. This isn't looking good. And, and then they came back clear. God's good. Uh, you remember that time when you lost somebody you loved and you said, I can never survive this? You know, I made it through. It wasn't easy, but I made it through. God was faithful in those moments that I needed to be faithful. Those truths, those experiences, those realities, and what we find in the Word of God work together to affirm what we already know in our heart to be true, but we need to be reminded of in our head at that moment. And so these are the Psalms of lamentation. So that's why in Psalm 13, verse 6, it says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. We've got to remember those things in the moment. So let's look through this Psalm very quickly. And, and, and there's so many different literary devices. And you know, I'm an English bug. I used to teach English. And, and so there's so much great literature in the Psalms. But I just want to kind of point out, this particular Psalm is written in couplets. And, and many great poets over the years were famous for their couplets. So in other words, it's two lines or two phrases or two expressions and followed by another two that have a different thought. And, and this passage has, has that construction in it. And so when you see there's six verses and you understand they're in couplets, then you know that there are three sets of couplets. And the couplets are the beginning, the middle, and the end. They tell a story. And so when you see these in Scripture, you kind of look for that. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a mini book. It's a mini story. And so when you look at, at, at Psalm chapter 13, the first two verses, How long, O Lord? How long will you hide your face? How long will you forget me? How long must I take counsel in my sorrow? How long will I have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You hear that phraseology again and again, how long, how long? That's part of that construction. And the first part of the, prob- the, first part of the, of the expression is the problem. He's saying, here's my problem. How long do you expect me to wait, God? How long till I hear from you? How long is this going to, am I going to have to endure this? How long is this pain going to be stabbing me in my heart? How long? That's the problem. Then you look in verses 3 and 4 and you see a change of tone. It's a new couplet. And it makes requests. Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Let my, don't let my enemy say, I've prevailed over him. Don't let my foes rejoice before I am shaken. So here's the petition. So you've got a problem initially, and then you, he's making the petition, the request. Lord, I, I need relief. Let's, don't, let the neighbors, don't, let, don't, don't let my neighbors think that you've forgotten me. Don't, don't let my enemies think that you're asleep at the switch here, Lord. Can, can, can you let me hear from you? And then you look in verses 5 and 6. That's the final couplet. It's the conclusion of the story. And notice, all of a sudden, it's kind of like he took a deep breath, and he looked around, and he said, you know what? I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will, look at the declaration, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. And so you've got the conclusion, which is the praise. That's when the truth kicked in. That's when the clarity came. That's when the venting was over. The purge had been completed. And all of a sudden, he's feeling a little better. I am going to live. I am going to make it. I will praise the Lord. He has been faithful to me. I can put my feet on this foundation and live another day. So you got the problem, and then you got the petition, and then you've got the praise. You've got the confusion. You've got the request for help. And then you've got the clarity and foundation for the future. So let's go through these very, very quickly. And let's gain some truths from it. Here's the first truth. There are times in life when God is going to seem far, far away. Yes, even for Christians. And let me just say this, particularly for Christians. You know why it's particularly problematic for Christians? (laughs) Because the person who doesn't believe in God doesn't even recognize he's far, far away, right? It doesn't matter to them. They think they're here because of some cosmic fluke. They think they're here because of of some action by a pagan god or a false god. Uh, They they, they live under a completely system. It only matters to us because we know he's real. And there are going to be times when the God that we're counting on, the God that we listen to, the God that has done a completed work in our life and a a work that he's completing in our life is going to seem far, far away. That's part of our journey. It's part of our maturation. I've used this illustration in different ways in the past, but sometimes, you know, different people are here different weeks, and I want to use it again. But when I was a kid, I grew up in a little town called Moberly, Missouri. Moberly was a small town. It was Norman Rockwell, USA. It was a railroad town and a farming community. It, it, this is before the days of Walmart. Yes, I'm that old, okay? But uh, back in the 60s and early 70s, before Walmart went and destroyed many of the small towns in America, uh, there would be just rows and rows of stores down a main central street. You can still see them in some, like Salisbury still has some of that going on. Some of the other small towns in this area still have those. And, you know, there'd be a shoe store, there'd be a ladies' wear store, there'd be a men's wear store. There'd be uh, three or four pharmacies. Some of them would have soda counters. Some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, I remember those days. That's the town I grew up. And, and so my mother on Fridays was our shopping day. We lived way out in the country. We would go into town on Friday. And the kids would go to the library, mom would go to the stores, and then we'd go buy groceries and we'd go back home. The only other time we came to town was for church, so church and Friday afternoon shopping day. And my sister and I, were we were little squirts, we were, you know, five and three or six and four, we were, we were youngsters. This is a long time ago, so don't judge my mom on this one, okay? But sometimes, you, every mom knows that taking your kids in the store sometimes not worth the hassle, and, and she'd need to run into a store, and she'd, she'd come back out, and just it's just going to be a few moments. Well, in those days, it was perfectly safe to leave your kids in the car. 
All right? I mean, that's just the way it was in those days. There was no big deal. It's no big problem. Um, you know, and a car didn't have air conditioning anyway, so the windows were already rolled down. And yes, they rolled down in those days. You didn't push a button. You know, and you sat there and the breeze would blow through. We had just been to the library, had our library books. And we would sit in the car and we would wait for mom. But for some reason, from time to time, we become, become convinced that mom was going to use this opportunity to make her great escape. <laughs> that she'd finally had it with us. That she was going to leave us in the car, disappear into Patterson's department store, and we'd never see her again. And when mom, when, when that, that, that would hit us, Oh, the weeping and wailing and the lamentations that would come from my sister. Oh, she can't leave us. She can't leave us, Mom. We're going to be in this car. We weren't afraid that anybody was going to come in and snatch us out of the car. That never even occurred to us. We just thought Mom was going to run away from home. That was what we were convinced was going to happen. So my mom had a strategy that she would use on us to convince us that it was going to be okay. She would take her wallet out of her purse and leave her purse in the front seat with us. Now, we knew this about my mother. My mother loved us, but my mother also loved her purse. And while there was always a distinct possibility that she would walk away from us, she was never going to walk away from her purse. That just wasn't going to happen. If she left her purse there, mom was going to be back. You could take it to the bank. That was for sure. And when she would leave her purse there, we would be okay. Everything was like, and we would just read and have fun, you know, raise cane and fight and everything else that kids do in the car until mom came back, reclaimed her purse, and we would drive off to the next store. You know, there was something secure about the fact that she left something with her. And this is something that many times we as believers forget. Even when God walks out of our sight, when God removes what appears to be his presence from us, he hasn't. He's promised us he's coming back for us. And we know that for two reasons. Number one, he told us. It's right here. God said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing above, nothing below, nothing in between. Nothing can, over and over and over again, he has made that promise. Well, yeah, but mom made that promise to me too, and I was still convinced she was leaving out the back door of the store. Oh no, but mom left something with us, and God left something with you and me as well, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is in us and sits in us. And, you know, in our moments of darkest despair, that voice is still there that says, I know how you feel right now, and I know it's a little scary, and I know it's a little confusing, and I know that there are some questions that you don't have the answer to, like when and where and how, and when he'll return, and when he's going to step in, and when you're going to get relief. I know all those things are in, in, in play, but I just need you to know this. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And that voice from God it said, you're not, you're not separated forever when you lose somebody in death. When you're in a hospital and they're sticking things in your arms and you're in pain. That this is not forever. Whenever you lose your job, whenever your house burns down, whenever your best friend betrays you, whenever your heart is broken, it hurts during this moment, but it's not forever. Why do we know it? God's word says it, and his Holy Spirit gives testimony to it in our life. And we can sit back. And in patience, wait, and even enjoy the moment, knowing that in just a moment, he will be in view.
There are times in life when God is going to seem far away. David was a man after God's own heart. He experienced times in his life when God seemed to be distant. And when he did, it felt very, very personal to him. And you know, there are very few people recorded in Scripture who didn't go through a desert of some sort. Think about it, Moses, Joseph, Paul, Nehemiah, over and over, Isaiah, over and over and over and over again. You, you name a Bible character, usually you can remember a time, Daniel, when it felt like they were abandoned, they were all alone, they were facing this all by themselves. And God can use a sense of turmoil in our lives to help us recalibrate things, like joy and priorities and contentment and fulfillment and all the other urges that ebb and flow. Sometimes it's because of sin in our lives, but sometimes it's because of the sin in the life of others that impact us. And sometimes it's an individual matter, sometimes it's a corporate matter, but here is the end result. God uses all things for his glory and our good. Even in the darkness. In the end, we know this, that God gives joy in the morning. And by the way, those who have experienced loss have a new calibration, a new tuning that allows us to enjoy so many of the other privileges and to anticipate the future. Every time I go to a funeral of a loved one, heaven is sweeter to me. I said this to my mom. My mom is 80. Oops, sorry, mom. She hears these sermons. I just told my mom's age. But anyway, she's 80. <laughs> so she had me when she was 19, and she has another birthday coming up. And you know, 80's getting up there. Every day's a gift. And I'm a mama's boy. I've never made a secret of that. I, I talked to her last night at 9 o'clock like I do every Saturday night. I just, I, I love her to death. And the other day we were just talking about I'd finished my will and she's, you know, we were just talking about things. And I said, you know, mom, I'm so thankful the Lord gave us all these years together. Not a lot of people get their mom for 61 years like I have. And I hope it's a lot more, but I know it's pointed into every person at time wants to die. I said, but you know, I look at it this way. If I'd lost you when I was 40, if I'd lost you when I was 20, all the years of separation that I'd face. But now that we're both in our end years, I don't want to say older years, but you know, we're closer to the end than we are to the front, that separation isn't going to be as long. And then we'll be together again for all eternity. It gives me comfort. It really does. I know that may sound corny, but it gives me comfort. And the fact is that when you have a hope of eternity with Christ in these moments, it gives you comfort. The best is yet to come. This isn't the end. It's temporary. And I want to say this to you this morning. If you say, I don't know where I'm going when I die. I don't, I don't know. I have a relationship with God. I, I'm so overwhelmed by all the arguments. Is there God? Does he matter? How do you get to heaven? Do some people go to hell. Do God, I, I get so confused about what do I do with that? Let me tell you what you do with that. You go to the word, go to the truth. Let God speak to you and his Holy Spirit will fill in the blanks in your life as you read his word and as you hear it in ways that Dan Burrell and Ben Rudolph and, and your Christian mama, we, we can never do it. You need to hear from God. And you know what he's saying to you this morning? You're a sinner who can't save himself, but I already took care of that for you. I took your sins on myself. I went to the cross and I died and shed my blood so that the punishment that you deserved, I paid for. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform rituals. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to be baptized because all of your works mean nothing. I already took care of it. It's paid in full. Here's what you need to do. Believe. 
repent of your sins and your ability to save yourself and everything else you've been clinging to and say, I trust you, Lord. And turn yourself over to him. You say, that's so simple. And Jesus says to you, exactly. Even a child, even a child can know and understand. He's not willing that any of us should perish. You don't need a college degree and you don't need a million dollars in the bank. You don't need to be the world's you know, greatest character, charactered person. All you need is to believe. And that's his promise to you. There are going to be in times in life when God's going to seem far away. But remember this, God has not forgotten you. You're never outside of God's mind. Remember this, there are no instant victories. God's patience with us, and we need to be patiently waiting for him to complete his work in us. He's not McDonald's. He's not a vending machine. He's going to work according to his time and his schedule. And just because we don't have the answers now does not mean we'll not get the answers later. It just means we don't have the answers yet. And the third thing is this. We don't always have God's perspective. We see things selfishly. Part of maturing is to be able to look and see that God has been at work around us all the time. Some of you dropped your kids off at the nursery this morning and they had a meltdown. They had an absolute fit. Why? Because they thought you were going to abandon them, right? But you know this, you need time in the word. They need training. They need to learn to separate. It's part of them growing up. And sometimes God says, there's going to be periods of time where you need to learn to trust me without me rescuing you in that moment. So, We don't always have God's perspective, but God's completing a work in us. Here's the second thing in verses three and four. It's always wise to call out to the Lord. It's always wise to call out to the Lord. And that's what David was doing. Let me give you these real quickly. There are four things you can learn from that. The first thing is this. We ought to be praying for God's glory over our happiness. More important than whether or not you and I are comfortable or, or satisfied or happy or giggly or whatever it is we want is God's glory. And we need to be praying that God would be glorified even in our pain, even in our suffering. God can and should be glorified. The second thing is this. Perseverance is vital to hearing from God. Often God wants us to anguish in prayer, to wait upon him, to patiently appeal. What what does the Bible tell us that the fervent prayer That fervent is an ongoing word of righteous people who have self-examined, availeth much. The Bible tells us to persevere in prayer. So this perseverance is an important aspect because waiting on the Lord is part of maturing. It's part of growing up. It's a part of trusting God with, with substance. That in the midst of my chemo, in the midst of my unemployment, in the midst of my singleness, in the midst of my incarceration, (laughs) God's teaching me things in this moment that I will need later. And so I'm going to hear from God and wait as I do. Third thing, we need to be aware of the struggles and victories that are present in our journey. And I added that word victories because you know what? Many times we focus on the struggles and we never remember the victories. There are good things that are happening around us too. And sometimes we need to rejoice in those victories and they'll sustain us through the struggles. 
Remember the good times and not just the bad times. Why is it that like petulant children often, we only get up in God's grill whenever something doesn't go our way, and then whenever something good happens, it's, well, thank my lucky stars. Your stars had nothing to do with it, kiddo. All right? The victories and the struggles are all part of God completing his work in us. And then the last thing is this. Sometimes the end of ourselves is our beginning with God. Sometimes the end of ourselves, going through the suffering, not being healed, is what God wanted to perform in our lives so his will is completed. Sometimes our abilities, when we reach those, allows God to show us his abilities. I'm chronic at that. I'm chronic at that. And I ask God constantly to remind me of this because I'll tell, I'll let, God, I got this handled. I'll let you know if I need you. Forever doing that. Got a plan. Going to work my plan. Not going to get sidetracked. And, and God's over here waiting for me to get to the end of my, <laughs> my foolishness so that he can go in and show me how it really needs to be done. Here's the last thing I want you to remember when it seems like God's apart from you. When we fully trust God, we can praise him in every circumstance in all things. The Hebrew word for trust, verses 5 and 6, has a nuanced meaning of reliance as in leaning on something. People sometimes say, you know what, your your religion, your faith, your God, that's just a crutch. Well, yes, yes it is. (laughs) I will plead guilty to that. I am leaning on the truth of the God of the universe. I am leaning on on Jesus. And if you'll allow me to pull out an old hymn we sang in the country, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. Yeah, it is a crutch. It's what trust is about. Trust is trusting somebody so much that you're willing to put some of your weight on them. And folks, you can do that with God. God does not expect you to go through the trials and tribulations of life, the heartache and the sorrow, as if you had no hope, as if he is not able, as if there is no victory in your future. But God has said, use me as your crutch. Lean on me. Trust in what you know to be true. Trust in what I promised you. And your tears will turn to joy. Your darkness will turn to light. Your despair will turn to hope. These are the prayers of lamentation. So that we can get all the venom out, all the putridness out, and walk out on the other side and say, my God is great. And he gives me hope in the morning. And his strength renews me every single 